Good morning from Des Moines, Iowa. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, February 3rd. Here are election 2020 updates from today's show. On the last day of campaigning here before tonight's precinct caucuses, crowds overflowed school gymnasiums and campaign offices around the state as the candidates kept a brisk pace to make their final appeals. But the day was mostly marked by upheaval and signs of discomfort among top party officials over whether Iowa's vote will push the presidential race too far to the left. On Sunday, even as Joe Biden's campaign aides worked to downplay expectations and allies sought to cast doubt on Bernie Sanders' viability, an NBC reporter overheard one of the former vice president's top surrogates, John F. Kerry, in the hotel lobby, speculating over the idea that he would jump into the race. The 2004 nominee and ex-Secretary of State categorically denied that he would run in 2020, using a profanity that starts with the first letter of his middle name. But he did not directly deny the NBC report that he had been speculating about it on the phone. NBC said that he cited a motivating factor as, quote, the possibility of Bernie Sanders taking down the Democratic Party, down whole. It was in some ways a fitting coda to an unusual campaign in which Democrats, after a year on the trail, continue to grapple with which of their many options offers the best chance of defeating President Trump. Sanders is widely perceived by operatives in various campaigns as the slight favorite going into tonight's caucus, although a CBS poll published yesterday showed that he and Biden are tied at 25% apiece with Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg, at 21%, Elizabeth Warren at 16%, and Amy Klobuchar at 5%. I attended rallies for all five of those finalists over the weekend. Each of them offered conflicting views of how they would position the party to best take on Trump. Biden and Buttigieg put forward a more centrist view and said they could work with Republicans. Sanders vowed to reshape the party in his revolutionary image. And Warren presented herself as a unity candidate, straddling the middle of those two camps, a fighter who can also get things done. Uncertainty and fear continue to undergird the campaign's final hours. Some campaign aides worry that their candidate will be dealt a suffocating blow tonight, and many voters and even some candidates say they're fearful about the party's divisions at the very moment they hope Democrats would be energized and starting to coalesce. As Klobuchar put it at a middle school late Saturday night, quote, we better not screw this up. With the last day of campaigning that was unseasonably warm and sunny, all the snow on the ground is melting, making it quite muddy. Candidates spread out to mobilize their core supporters and convert as many of the many undecided voters as they could. Buttigieg was greeted by a crowd of more than 2,000 at Lincoln High School in Des Moines, home of the Rail Splitters. Biden, who can sometimes struggle to fill a room, saw standing room only audiences with 1,100 people at an event in a middle school in Des Moines. Warren's staff had planned for only 350 people to see her at Simpson College in Indianola, but more than three times that showed up. In fact, the space was so tight that her very top campaign advisors were temporarily barred by the fire marshal from entering. Warren urged voters in her pitch not to be afraid to vote for her and her agenda. Fighting back, she said, is an act of patriotism. Sanders stopped at campaign offices in three cities, giving abbreviated stump speeches to supporters preparing to canvas for him. It's a change of pace from the large rallies he's held in recent weeks, including a concert on Saturday night that drew an estimated 3,000 people. He said the time has ended for simply expressing concern about income inequality, health care, and the environment. Now, he says, is the time to end the complaining and take action. And that action can start in the caucuses. 
Sanders' efforts to pressure Democrats to coalesce behind him have been made more complicated, though, after so many of his prominent supporters have aggressively attacked other Democrats in recent days. For example, at that rally in Cedar Rapids on Saturday night, liberal filmmaker Michael Moore, who's been introducing Sanders, took sharp aim at the Democratic National Committee and its leader, Tom Perez, accusing them of conspiring against Sanders and trying to boost former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg by changing the qualifications for future debates so you don't have to raise money from small-dollar donors anymore. DNC spokeswoman Zochi Hinojosa says Moore's assertion is a, quote, totally false conspiracy theory. Buttigieg began yesterday on a stage where he was introduced by Iowa City Mayor Bruce Teague. Teague had previously backed Cory Booker before the New Jersey Democrat dropped out of the race. He made a pointed reference to criticism of Buttigieg's difficulty attracting non-white voters. Teague joked to the crowd, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm black. Buttigieg has grown more animated and more emotive of late, and his crowds, generally politely supportive, have become more raucous. His campaign touted the 27 counties that voted for Barack Obama and Trump as evidence of his effort to reach more than just true blue Democrats. Buttigieg suggested yesterday that a massive American majority agrees with him on things like gun background checks and dealing with climate change. And he suggested he's the candidate best equipped to reach those people who switched from Obama to Trump. Two voters at his rally in Coralville told him that they're Republicans voting for a Democrat for the first time. Biden began his day courting voters in Dubuque, which is in eastern Iowa on the Mississippi River, attempting to rally a crowd at a Catholic university by saying he's the candidate not only with the most widespread appeal, but the one with the experience to unite a divided nation. But that bipartisan appeal was tested a few hours later when Joni Ernst, the Republican senator from Iowa, raised the prospect that Republicans will attempt to impeach Biden if he's elected and the GOP wins control of the House over the work that his son did in Ukraine. During a breakfast with reporters yesterday, Biden's top strategists sought to play down the results in Iowa, arguing that the impact of a loss for him would be limited and suggesting that voters are going to consider the results of all four early states, not just Iowa and New Hampshire. It's a bad sign when you're doing that kind of spend the day before the caucuses. Simone Sanders, a senior Biden advisor, said that they never said they were going to run away with this, adding, quote, we ain't shocked. She and other Biden advisors also attempted a more difficult task. They're trying to cast the former vice president, who has led in most national polls throughout the race, as the underdog. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. If you want to hear full episodes, find The Daily 202 every weekday morning, wherever you get your podcasts.